Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Mazaface, And alongside me, we have TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook. And we're joined once again by the former Chelsea defender, the FA Cup winner from 1997, ex-Benfica from West Ham, left back and model for next. It is Scott Minto uh, coming up on the show this week is all this stuff. If they were to finish, say, second in a semi-final of the Champions League, I still think that's progression. But if mm. they were to finish, say, fourth and Spurs finish above them, let's say, and they go, go out of the Champions League, then pressure's on, on Arteta. It's not the extra month waiting to get more money off of a sale of Brennan Johnson. It's the deal you gave Chris Wood and John Joe Shelby. It's the players you signed but didn't include in your Premier League squad because you didn't have enough places. I'm not sure that Jordan Henderson and Integrity go together. He's made a fool of himself. He's never properly addressed the elephant in the room. You know, all those communities that felt very let down by his move to Saudi. Then he comes out with this nonsense that he's there to grow the game. Well, six months later, he feels he's grown the game enough, does he? I mean, honestly. Hello, gentlemen. Are we all OK? Morning, Sam. You recovered from the Blackpool cold? Well, I must admit, um, I, I feel a little bit sorry for Nottingham Forest in a weird way because I was there at the bone-chilling Bloomfield Road. And this morning, it's even colder. I'm in Manchester uh, and it's early on a Thursday. OK, so wherever you're listening to this in the world, right? I know that if you're in America, there are certain parts of uh, the Midwest and, and, and the north uh, east of the country where it is absolutely freezing. But it's minus seven here today, right? So... Uh, it is, it is very cold. It was bone-chillingly cold at Bloomfield Road. There wasn't many of us there. You might have noticed on the television, there wasn't many of us there. And a lot of them were spread out, but not me. I was huddled together in a little group of four up on the gantry, which took me up over the roof via a ladder and back down the other side. Uh, it, was, uh, it was an experience, I must admit. But it was a decent cup tie in the end. Not sure it says much about Nottingham Forest, who picked up a couple of knocks, and they'll be a little bit concerned about that um crook um where were you you were in eastley weren't you you got very excited when eastley scored the other night i did yeah i thought maybe the uh the non-leaguers might be able to pull off a tie with manchester united it wasn't to be it was cold there as well i couldn't feel my feet by the uh, by the end of the evening so luckily i don't have to go to a football ground again now until sunday so i'm gonna hibernate luckily what luckily <laughs> it's, too, uh, it's too cold now, me and Scott, me and Scott will be there Saturday morning. Don't worry about that. We'll be at Arsenal on Saturday. We're ready. To, we're raring to go already. I actually listened to the debrief uh, for the first time as well yesterday. I'd obviously had a bit okay. of time, and the question from Alan Brazil was, or from Gabby, who would you eat if you, you know, that that sort of rugby team that went to uh, South America? And Crookie's name came up. He was the first one. Really <laughs> Crookie. Lots to feed off. <laughs> on that bombshell, Thank I think you. we. We better move on. Uh, let's uh, get into the weekend's Premier League action starting at the Emirates. How quickly things change in the Premier League. Finished Liverpool 1, Arsenal 1. Top spot in the Premier League, but they'll be hoping it's not like last Christmas. Well, it's a positive that they haven't played as well this season um, and they still sit top of the table. And what does this do for Arsenal's title hopes? Fulham 2, Arsenal 1. Luis Diaz to finish it. He does. Arsenal 0, Liverpool 2. They're not a bad side. They're not a million miles away, but they're just lacking that killer finish. We know uh, what we need to do. With what we are generating and what we can do is something very different. There are Crystal Palace fans saying you don't know what you're doing. 
booing Roy Hodgson for taking off Everett Chiesi. We play at 12.30 on, on Saturday morning. We need people like Eze, who was our best, you know, he's one of our very best players and was playing well. Roy's remit is keep Palace in the Premier League. And that's what he's going to do. And is that it? After 10 years in the Premier League, that's it for Crystal Palace. I feel that Palace need to make a change. Not now, not now, but certainly at the end of the season. And it certainly needs to be a change that embraces the whole raft of thinking. Talking of having a, a big feast, Sun, Sea and Salt Bay. Arsenal are back from the Middle East. Um, it's been a much-needed break for the Gunners after a run of four games without a win and after three straight defeats for the first time since April 2022. The good news is Crystal Palace are coming to town. Uh, we will talk about Hodgson's choice and the drama around it in just a moment. But first, I suppose the biggest issue Scott with Arsenal is abundantly clear. They score way fewer goals than anybody else in that uh, top five. Tottenham, Villa, Man City and Liverpool score lots more goals than them. I mean, not Manchester United fewer, but significantly fewer. Um, it's it's all. What is it all to do with? Is it misfiring midfield? Is it the the the, the far forwards? The lack of balance in that midfield area? They're missing Granite Xhaka. What 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 is the problem here? Or are they just missing an out and out number nine? Yeah, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. That the standout one is obviously that that fox in the box that they don't have, and that we've been saying for a period of time, and I know Arsenal fans have been saying for a period of time. You know, I, I didn't get the fact of spending sixty four million on on Havertz. You know, why not use that money and, and an extra 30 million on a, on a proper striker um, who will give you those 15, 20 guarantee goals? Not many of them out there, as, as we well know, but, you know, certainly try and go for that. I think, you know, we mentioned Havertz there and, and you mentioned the midfield and with Xhaka. Who would have thought a couple of years ago that Arsenal would be saying we, we miss Granit Xhaka as well? Uh, and I also think they really overachieved last season. Not just in terms of results, but performances, they were absolutely superb. So to go again and in the Champions League um, is not easy. But I do think Declan Rice has been a, a great signing. I think Saliba being fit makes a big difference defensively. But when you're relying on or seem to be over-relying on on Saka as well, I think it's very difficult on on him. Everyone has been not quite as good as last season. But this, the standout thing, obviously is about sticking the ball in the back of the net. Okay, um, breaking down teams like Crystal Palace then could be a bit of an issue for them, have been a bit of an issue for them, Crook. And, and matches where they can sort of sit and soak and then strike are probably the matches that bring the best out of Crystal Palace. And they need a big performance, really, don't they? Because Roy Hodgson's team, eight defeats in 14, out of the FA Cup now. Roy questioned for his decision to bring off Eze in midweek. Can you understand his rationale? Uh not really. I mean, he mentioned about the fact they're playing at 12.30 on Saturday and that Ezer is one of their best players. But this is an opportunity uh, to get into the next round of the FA Cup. I don't think Palace are bad enough to be relegated. So what are they playing for in this game against Arsenal at the weekend? Other than pride, I think you're entering into red zone territory again. Probably the you know, the, the medical staff have told him that Ezer was in danger of picking up an injury. But I think Palace fans were right to voice their frustrations. It's one win in 11 but it's a club going nowhere, isn't it? And it's always going to be a club going nowhere when you've only got a manager until the end of the season. Scott, I don't know if you've been in that situation, but I think subconsciously the players will, will just drop off a, a couple of percent because they know that the man giving giving them their orders and picking the team won't be there beyond the end of the campaign. We know that Steve Cooper is available. We know that Palace are big fans of his. I just wonder, in order to give them a bit of a shot in the arm, should they maybe come up with a, a handshake for Roy Hodgson, a fond farewell, a mutual departure and and then go in a different direction because they need a little bit of an uplift. Despite what you said about Arsenal, I, I can't see any chance that Palace cause an upset this weekend. Oh, me neither. And I, I feel without scoring a goal. Yeah, I feel for Paris fans as well, Scott, um, because they've got twenty-one points. Everyone around them is getting deducted points left, right, and centre. You're playing a team like Everton in the Cup, who, who actually, they really could do without the Cups as a distraction because they're one of those teams who probably are going to have 10, at least 10 points deducted off them at the end of the season. And you can't even give it a go against them. I mean, they were crap in the first game down at Selhurst Park where they gave the initiative to, to Everton. And Everton probably should have won that game anyway. And then last night was a major disappointment. I mean, if you're a Crystal Palace fan, right, if you're sitting here listening to this now, what are you supposed to get excited about? 
Because even if you are looking pretty secure in the Premier League, and they look pretty secure in the Premier League because they, they're not bad enough to go down. I mean, you're going to have to be really bad if you haven't been deducted any points to go down this season, right? What are you supposed to enjoy? Mm. I mean, come on. Isn't the game about having fun? I mean, crikey, they got rid of Roy Hodgson the first time because it was about as dull as watching paint dry. So what? What? what is it now? What's the solution? I mean, come on, do something. I'm looking forward to that post-match interview that you're going to be doing with Roy on Saturday. Um, Maybe I'll start fun. it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember driving back from a game, my comrade it was, and listening to you, um, dealing with him really well. I sent you a text. That was that was brilliant. Um, there could be another one post-match on, on Saturday. Look, you know, if I'm going to play slightly devil's advocate, I think if you look at... Um, what David Moyes did with the Bristol City game. He played both Jared Bowen and Pakatar in the first game and both got injured and both are out for some time. That's clearly his worry. But you can't, I think, you can't, you know, you're right. You know, they don't finish top half. They don't, they never really have massive problems in terms of relegation. So what is the point? What is the point of being a Palace fan from now to the end of the season? You're right, you know, Clubs are almost trying to get themselves in trouble to help Palace out by getting points deducted. I just think it's about knowing your audience and knowing your fans and realising that while no one wants Eze to be injured with Elise being out as well, I'm sorry, you've got to be seen to be giving it absolutely all. And that's not what Roy's doing. From a, an absolutely analytical point of view, that may have been the right decision, but they're still in the chance of getting through to the cup and then who knows what can happen. Uh, yeah, I'm with you in that. And it will be interesting to see whether Roy does last until the end of the season with Steve Cooper being out there. But is the problem that it's not necessarily this game in isolation where he's taken Ezer off at half time? It's the overall approach that he engenders, which means that you don't go for it at any time. So that the, the, there is a, a constant slow drip feed of lack of excitement. So you slowly get worn down by the fact that it is pretty dull you go to the first game on a Thursday night at home you know there's a long time between this and your next game if they get that right by the way and they win that game Crystal Palace down at Selhurst Park they don't play until this weekend okay so they only had to play the game last night because they didn't manage to finish off 10-man Everton in the first game so is it not actually a cumulative effect? It's not necessarily about last night in, in isolation, the game in midweek in isolation, but actually Roy Hodgson's situation and the lack of enthusiasm and therefore the disappointment and dejection of a Crystal Palace fan, who I feel for, by the way, because I sit there and I think, to myself, you know, sometimes Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace got a reputation of being an exciting club in the 70s, you know, Terry Venables, 80s, you know, going into the 90s with Steve Koppel, exciting club. Even Alan Pardew took you to a, 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 a FA Cup final. You know, there's a bit of, sometimes there's a little bit of swagger about Crystal Palace, not the biggest club in the world, but they know, you know, they, they, they like entertainment, right? This is just sort of heart-wrenching, isn't it? It's just like, oh, God, soul-destroying every single... You can go for it. If he'd gone for it in the first game, won the first game, no one might... He'd give himself a lot more breathing room as well. Anyway, and it, would have been Luton, and it would have been Luton at home in the next round, so a brilliant mm. chance to, to get into the, the fifth round of the competition. And, and who knows, it, it wouldn't be too big a stretch to suggest that maybe a Wembley semi-final would be on the horizon. But also... They've got a couple of really exciting young players in Michael Elise, who we know there's interest in from the likes of Manchester United, Ezer as well. I think Wilf Zaha, by the end of his Palace career, was just ground down by the fact that he was the flair player, didn't really get much support from his teammates. He was expected to carry the fight. And I wonder if you're Elise and Ezer and you're planning the next step in your career, are you thinking that maybe Palace is not the right club for you to fully show off your talents. Are you but suggesting that um, Crystal Palace made Wilf Zaha moody? The reason he became so <laughs> moody and argumentative was because he just got worn down by the fact that, you know, every I think, time... I think there's an element of that. Every time he thought that there might be a, a jink of light and a chance to do something special, that it was worn down by the, the Palace sort of approach. Come on, yeah, well, get he, ambitious. He, he signed the long-term contract once he did that, which is interesting with... with the, the others as well, if there's a, 
a clause in it. Once you sign that contract, you give the power. Okay, you're earning really good money, but you give the power if you want to leave back to the club that you're at. Look, I, I think this stems, of course, we can have a go at Roy, but it stems from the owners. I think appointing Roy in the first place, you know, we know what, I mean, it was quite exciting football last season and he, and he kept them up. But if that had been, thank you very much, Roy, we're going to move on, then I don't think any Palace fans would have been too worried about that. But if you're going to point Roy, and as Cookie says, on a one-year contract, what does that say to the club? What does it say to the fans? It comes from the owners as to who, what sort of philosophy mm. you have and what manager you have. So, look, while they're still trying to sort out the stand at, at Sellers Park, there's, you know, obviously don't know if one of the majority shareholders is wanting to get out now. There's problems there. This is just literally kicking the can down the road by having Roy. And it will be interesting to see what they do between now and the end of the season. OK, um, we mentioned that Arsenal have got some problems in front of goal. Could they be solved by the arrival of Karim Benzema, a name that's being linked with a loan move? How likely is that and how much uh, would he offer? How much would it take him to get out, out of Saudi Arabia? I mean, I can't imagine that the Saudis are going to be too happy about the idea of some of their stars being plucked at this stage of the season, especially now that uh, their big poster boy, Jordan Henderson, is going to, to Ajax. No, I think yeah, that's a pretty bad look on the on the Saudi Pro League and, and probably Henderson himself. Maybe we'll talk about that later in in the podcast. But when Chelsea and Manchester United were linked with Benzema earlier this week, United ruled it out pretty quickly, and I was told that it would take an astronomical offer uh, from Chelsea to get Benzema. He's earning big money over in Saudi Arabia, uh, as you suggested. I think the Saudi Pro League wouldn't want to lose him, so. I'm not convinced that this is a player who's going to end up at Arsenal anytime soon. Um, what does Mikel Arteta have to achieve between now and the end of the season? Because we focused a lot on Crystal Palace and the disappointment, but actually I think this is a big game for, for Arteta, isn't it? He, he has to put three points on the board, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you look at the next uh, couple of games, you know, it's it's Palace at home, Forest away, I mean, it's amazing how football changes, isn't it, quickly? After the Brighton game, and even at Anfield getting the point, everyone was saying, OK, well, you know, they're in good form. And then suddenly, bang, bang. And and the Liverpool game in the Cup, I think, just shows that actually, even if they do play well, there's no guarantee they can win games where actually the, the championship winning sides can find a way to win when they don't play well. Um yeah, absolutely. This is this is a massive game to get back on on winning terms. And I know, you know, the fans have been behind. Um, Mikel Arteta. Last season, I thought the Emirates was amazing. It really was. And the atmosphere and the way they helped come back with the odd time they went a goal down to, to go on and help win the game. I think Arsenal fans are starting to turn a little bit in terms of they're not happy that they haven't got that striker. Everyone can see what they want to do. And Mikel Arteta, sometimes a strength can be a weakness. The stubbornness that he's got means that he doesn't want to go out and, and buy someone now. A difficult in January, of course it is. But the point is that should have happened in the summer. So, again, we talked about, you know, Roy interesting from now to the end of the season. Be interesting to see how Arsenal get on. But don't forget they're still in the Champions League. You know, and I actually think they could go quite deep into that. So, if they were to finish, say, second in a semi-final of the Champions League, I still think that's progression. But if mm. they were to finish, say, fourth and Spurs finish above them, let's say, and they go, go out of the Champions League, then pressure's on, on Arteta. Oh, you stoked the fire there, didn't you? You threw one in right <laughs> at the end. If Spurs were to finish above them, oh, nasty. Okay, uh, you're going to be welcome at the Emirates on Saturday. You'll be with me, 12.30. It's live on TalkSport. Looking forward to it. It's Arsenal against Crystal Palace. Okay, all eyes on the return of Ivan Tony, who makes his first appearance following the end of his betting ban for Brentford when they take on Nottingham Forest uh, this Saturday evening. Uh, now, listen, Crook, this is a departure from the norm, isn't it? Because he did an interview, a sit-down interview to mark his return and then just started talking openly about moving clubs. He told Sky that he would be open to a move in January if it was right. I mean, is this is this a bit of a surprise? I mean, usually when we're talking about big strikers going for big money somewhere else, they usually keep their gobs shut for quite a while. Why has he decided to discuss this openly? This is like, I mean, it's refreshing, but it's, it's just against the, against the rules, isn't it? Uh, I think Ivan Tony plays by his own rules. Uh, maybe that's why he's found himself in uh, in this situation. But he's someone who always speaks honest and openly. Um, and I think he was just answering the question honestly. I think he knows that a move this window is unlikely. But listen, someone might get desperate. Our Arsenal might just decide, actually, if, if we've got any chance of winning this title, we need to slap £80 million on the, on the table for Ivan Tony. Mm -hmm. Chelsea might think, 
Pochi's right. We need a number nine. Here's 80 million for Tony. I don't see it happening, but obviously he's not going to rule it out at this stage. I think what's nailed on is that Ivan Tony scores this weekend. I think he he looks so fired up to me. He's, he's obviously got this sense of injustice, even though that we think he broke the rules and had to serve his punishment. He feels he's been harshly treated. I know he's been working overtime in the gym to keep himself in the best possible condition. And I fear that all his frustration might be taken out on Nottingham Forest this weekend. Yes, and it could be a tough week for Nottingham Forest because one, Brentford desperately need to win. Uh, two, they've got Ivan Tony back and he looks hungry. And although they bounce back with an FA Cup win over Blackpool uh, on Wednesday night, Murillo came off with a knock and he's their best defender. Gibbs White is injured. Apparently he's got an abdominal problem. He's going to be out for a couple of weeks, according to Nuno. Although that did seem a little bit convenient, I must admit. Um, Danilo got a whack at the end. They've got six players away on Africa Cup of Nations duty. The whole defence had to be replaced halfway through the game last night, or at least most of I mean, how long did the game go on last night? I felt like it was seven hours long with stoppage time. Uh, in minus six conditions on Wednesday night. So recovering from that and getting back down to Brentford is is quite difficult to do. And they've had 24 hours uh, less rest than, than than Brentford's got. Yeah, it sounds like you haven't recovered from it yet either. Um, but, I haven't. But... I haven't had about four hours sleep because I had to get up early so that you could go out. <laughs> what? So we, so we record an extra half an hour early. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing Dean Henderson, by the way. That, that, that would be interesting. Um, look, just on just on Ivan Tony, he, he may play by his own rules, but clubs will be looking at him as to how he conducts himself. And I'm not just talking about from a betting point of view, but I'll come on to the betting point of view in a sec. But, I, 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 you know, OK, if, if you've gone behind the scenes and, and a manager's saying, look, try and get yourself out as much as possible, he doesn't need to say what he said publicly. Just keep quiet, <laughs> say the right thing. Brentford fans, you know, he, he can't it. help himself. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> he, he's a grown man, Sam. He's an intelligent guy. He's an excellent player. And I think he is the guy that I'd love to see him in the Chelsea shirt. But, you know, he one, he doesn't need to be saying that. And two, I, I don't know, what, what would happen if he has another bet? You know, it's all very well for clubs to turn around and say, OK, well, we may in factor it into our contract that we're not going to sort of pay you anymore if you get involved. But if you're a compulsive gambler, which he's saying he is, if he has another gamble and eighty million pounds are spent on him, or the thought of possible eighty million pounds, would that put off clubs? Yeah, I mean, and it's putting me off just you talking about it. Um, because I, <laughs> and do you know what it is that's made me think about it? I'm going back to an interview I did with him on the side of the pitch after they got promoted. I think it was when they got promoted to the Premier League. I think it was. He scored a penalty. Did he score a penalty in that game? I can't remember. It was a long time ago now. And uh, and I remember saying to him. How are you going to celebrate tonight? Thinking I was going to get a routine answer. And the answer I got back was, I'm going to jump in a hot tub with a couple of strippers and a few bottles of champagne. And I just thought, okay for the personality, but that's not really what you say in 2021 or whatever it was at the time. Do you know what I mean? I know that sounds like, like... isn't it? Yeah, it's a little bit sort of like, okay... I know you're trying to be one of the, the lads. You're trying to sort of ingratiate you, you know, yourself to, you know, a certain culture, whatever. But, like, it's just straight after you've won a promotion to the Premier League. I'm not necessarily – maybe I shouldn't have asked him the question. But that sort of answer gives you a sort of window into the kind of character that he is, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And it is, it is interesting because, obviously, got his age that. profile doesn't – yeah, but his age profile doesn't necessarily fit what the clubs are looking for at this moment in time. We talked about that when it comes to Jao Paulinho. If you sign up Ivan Tony, you're paying top dollar for somebody you're going to get, what, the next three or four years out of, but you're not then going to be able to sell him for a profit. And there is still the question mark. Does he have the capability to step up to a top club where the pressure is much more intense and perform as well as he has for Brentford? There's no guarantees of that, I don't think, Scott. No, look, I, there isn't, but I and we don't know. And we've seen lots of players, obviously Chelsea and and United, being two clubs where a lot of money's gone and and for 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 great potential and and not fulfilling it at the moment. I think he will. I think he can. And I and I hate the fact you're right, Crookie. A lot of clubs do look at it, but I, I hate the fact that Chelsea have gone under twenty five. If they're over twenty five, we're not touching them. You know, missed out on James Madison. We'll probably miss out on Ivan Tony when these are two players that will be crying out for the here and now. So, look, 
putting all that to one side, I'm just wondering what if, you know, would clubs be thinking if we if we were going to spend £80 million on a player that is potentially one better way from getting a band that could go longer, are they willing to risk that? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong for even thinking this. Do you know what? I understand the trepidation and I hadn't really thought about that before you just mentioned it. And I and, and then obviously the conversation that we've just had afterwards. I What I really hope happens with Ivan Tony is, is that he's put that behind him. He's still able to show his rather lively and bubbly personality in a sensible way get his football boots back on and start scoring goals again because that is what he's best at and he's fantastic at Brilliant. it. And the Premier League actually needs a striker, another striker. We lack a lot of number nines. We don't have enough number nines to go around in the Premier League, right? There's lots of clubs scrambling around for them, which is why people will pay the... I think we'll take the gamble and end up on the pun uh, and, and pay the money for him because there, there's not that many around. Um, what is the latest case what is the latest on the case uh, against the premier league for nottingham forest is there any more details on that have we, have we got anything i mean i know they they said to me last night that they've got they let, and now have got a couple of weeks to respond to the charge and then they're going to find out what their points deduction is in april probably because they've got they've they, they, they've charged they've, they've told them they're going to charge them they put together a uh, a, a response then they put together a, an independent commission then they give them their punishment, which was going to be at the beginning of April. So by the time we sort of find out what the initial punishment is, it's going to be two, three months. And then they get to appeal. So, what, what, I mean, what, what's happening here? Well, I think, I think one of the issues... The season, not knowing who's going down. Yeah, well, Sean Dyche has alluded to that, hasn't he? He said it would be unfair on Everton fans if they effectively celebrate staying in the Premier League on the pitch and then a deducted points that result in their relegation. Um I think the idea of these profit and sustainability rules was that um, if, if you're charged in a season, then your punishment will be imposed by the end of that season. But speaking to somebody at Everton a few days ago, they think that's probably a little bit of an unrealistic timescale for the reasons you've just suggested. I think it's interesting to note the, the, the two different tones in the statements that actually were released before the Premier League statement confirming the charges because the Premier League cocked up basically and released their statement later than they told the clubs they would. But Everton's was quite front-footed, uh, suggesting that, that the rules and regulations are flawed and that they would be fighting it all the way. Nottingham Forest was a much shorter statement, much more conciliatory. And I think it's interesting, you've said they'll, they'll see how many points they're deducted. It could well be that if they're only deducted a couple of points, then they don't even appeal the charge. You know, they, they, they take their punishment. I think we're going to be okay in the Premier League anyway. So I'm fascinated by that. And, and the two different reasons why these charges have come about as well. With Everton, you've got an issue with interest payments on the stadium where they're claiming that one minute the Premier League was saying they wouldn't be counted in terms of their losses, and then they were. And with Forrest, it stems around the, the sale of Brendan, Brendan Johnson. They turned down a, a £30 million pound bid from Brentford in June. It doesn't. It does not. I'm sorry. Look, first of all, do we agree with the current rules? No. Do I agree with a handball or even? No, but once it's there, you have to play by the rules. Their issue is no strategy. A bloke employed to keep tabs on profit and sustainability rules and then decisions being made over his head on players. And this defence read Brennan Johnson is ludicrous. I'm sorry. They signed 43 players in 18 months. It's not the extra month waiting to get more money off of a sale of Brennan Johnson. It's the deal you gave Chris Wood and John Joe Shelby. It's the players you signed but didn't include in your Premier League squad because you didn't have enough places. And It's not to do with that one sale. Yes, you could have sold them. Um, earlier on, and you could have stayed under the limboed under the profit and sustainability line, but also you could have not signed ten of the other players, and then and then you wouldn't be in this situation. So this idea that Brett and Johnson, we waited an extra month to sell Brett and Johnson to get more money, and that should go into the previous year. It's, it's just nonsense. Hey, I don't agree with the rules. I think it's ridiculous. I think the way they're set up is that it hampers the smaller teams, which we're not allowed to use because um, Richard Masters has made that sound bad. It hampers those teams, not the smaller teams, but the teams that are trying to get up and compete with the established top six, right? Not in the Forest are a massive team. They've got massive support, but they don't have the income of some of those at the top of the Premier League. So yes, they have to rely on their owner to spend more money. But the rules are the rules as they are, whether we agree with them or not. And waiting an extra month to get extra 15 million quid on Brennan Johnson is not an excuse, I'm afraid, when you spent £250 million on 43 players. 
Well, they'll be hoping you're not the uh, in charge of the <laughs> independent appeal panel. Well, they're going to be not, spending six months in jail. I love Nottingham Forest, but come on. You, know, you don't have to be a KC to work that one out. Sam, I'm with you. I'm a hundred percent with you. That it will be laughed out of court. You know, Forest are clutching. If that's their best form of of an argument, they're clutching. The rules are the rules. They sign the amount of players. It's in the whole three year period. It doesn't go down to one signing. Of course, it doesn't. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get to Sunday's action now, which uh, starts on the south coast. Yeah, hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bingbingus at the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. And the uh, villain from Superman 2, uh, not Zod, but one of his uh, little minions, is going to this game, aren't you? Former, th- I think, are capable of uh, of causing Liverpool a few issues in this game. They're going to play front foot football, as we know, under Iraola. If Liverpool aren't quite at it defensively, I think this could be potentially a, tr- a tricky afternoon on the south coast for, for Jurgen Klopp's men. And this is a fixture that served up plenty of drama in the past. We all remember when Bournemouth came back from the dead to beat Liverpool in stoppage time, is it Nathan Ake got the winner a few years ago? So I'm expecting goals, I've got to say. Well, I was at uh, the Vitality Stadium last year. I think, Scott, you were so with was me, I. weren't you? Uh, yeah. You came with me and um, it was a, a masterclass in beating the offside trap by um, Bournemouth. And Gary O'Neill did very well. And was it um, Wango um, Watara, Dango Watara, who, who, who got in behind on that right-hand side and produced yeah. a cross for Philip Billing? Uh, yeah. to uh, pull the ball through the penalty area and get them in front. And actually, I thought Gary O'Neill's tactic in that game was brilliant because he brought on players who could play football in the yeah. second half of the game. The and ball. instead of just sort of, yeah, instead of just sort of sitting back and inviting pressure, they kept the ball higher up the pitch, which kept Liverpool at play, which was really yeah. good. It was impressive. Um, so what we're saying here is that Liverpool are not enjoying playing Bournemouth away, are they? They don't like going to Bournemouth away, uh, especially a side that have won... Uh, have lost just one of their last nine, which is pretty impressive, isn't it? So, right, I know Iraola, you remember from his time in Spain, Scott, he, he used to give the big boys a bloody nose on a regular basis. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, that's why, you know, it seemed harsh from the outside, but people who know knew about him in La Liga could see, you know, what Bournemouth were, were trying to do. And after a very tricky and, and sticky start, I mean, I don't think anyone quite saw this run of form, but this will be a really, really tough game. And, and last season, where we were talking about Liverpool being away from home really poor. They have stepped it up. But if they are going to win uh, the Premier League, these are the games that you have to win. And obviously, it's going to be interesting to see with Salah being out, if they're able to to, to share the goals around. Well, interestingly, in the cup tie, they bought, uh, they moved things around, didn't they? So, so they had uh, Nunez was in the middle, then he moved him out wide. Harvey Elliott moved, came off, and they, they sort of changed it around during the game. Similar sort of thing in the Fulham Cup tie that I went to just after that. And actually, Nunez and Cody Gakpo came off the bench and made a massive difference in they that did. game. And I wonder whether or not those two are likely to start alongside Jota in attack. Because although Luis Diaz has an amazing amount of skill, he hasn't really produced like the others. I know he scored the goals at Arsenal, but consistently, I just think that 
the other three seem to work together just a little bit better. We all got a bit carried away, I think, by Diaz, you know, when he first came into the Premier League. But I think at the moment he peaked then. I'm not sure he kicked on necessarily as we expected. I think he's very one-footed and, and probably is still acclimatising to the Premier League. So I think he's had right. some very personal trauma. Yeah, he's so had a lot of personal trauma this season. He's gone through a tough fair, time. Let, let, let's wait and see how he develops. Again, I've, I, I saw him in the Portuguese League. I thought he was superb. You know, um, he was superb. He hit the ground running. Where is his level? We might not actually properly find out until next season. But look, I, I, I think, you know, and Nunez, when is he going to stick the ball in the back of the net on a regular basis? Hold on, as don't well turn as, on him, Scott. No, no, no. As well as terrorising defenders, because he came on and he was absolutely superb in that game. It, look, I'm, I'm not going to be honest. You know, he terrorises fans who sit behind the goal as well, doesn't he, Nunez? Well, he should be scoring more goals. I'm not, just because I like him as a player doesn't mean to say I'm going to defend him that he should, shouldn't be scoring more goals. But he is a player that Jurgen Klopp is playing on a regular basis. So clearly he likes him. I saw him at Benfica where he'd, he'd start as a number nine, but he'd come out to the left a lot. And when he came on that game um, up at Anfield, where Liverpool were poor, weren't they, in the first half? And Fulham had a couple Dreadful. of chances to make it, to make it two. Um, I thought he was... Was was as I say terrorizing the defense. So I'd play him. I thought Jota was great. I'd like to see him play and almost as that false nine because he can mm. go either way, left foot, right foot. He can drop in, and then whether you go Gakpo or whether you go Diaz, I don't think Gakpo is a wide player. I think Diaz is more of a wide player. But the bottom line is, it's a very fluid front three where it's very difficult to pick up. It's amazing that they've got so many options, despite the fact that they've got Salah away. He's their best player. They've, they've managed to build a squad now where they still have options, which is great, which is why I think that they're massive title contenders this yeah. season, Liverpool. And they can go five points clear at the top of the Premier League uh, this weekend. Um, I, the only thing that did concern me when I was at that Fulham game um, was they have the best defence in the division, right, in terms of numbers. But boy, did they look shaky that night. I mean, Solanke might actually fancy his chances to close the gap to Haaland in the uh, Golden Boot um, race. I mean, uh, Haaland's out for a little while now, isn't he? So, you know, Salah away, uh, Haaland unavailable. All of a sudden, Solanke might emerge as the Premier League's top scorer. That would be quite something, wouldn't it? But (laughs) Well, listen, if we said that at the start of the season, uh, I think we would have been laughed out of town. But he's having a a phenomenal year. Obviously, Liverpool are a former club of his as well. So that would give him a little bit of extra motivation. Who knows? Listen, maybe it's not that fanciful. If he can keep going the way he is, then uh, he's got every chance, you say, with those injuries for for Haaland and and Salah being away. I I actually tipped up Salah uh, around about September to be the Premier League's top goal scorer. So I'll stand by that. Oh, dear. Did you really? Did you? Yeah. Mm. And how many other people did. did you tip up during that period as well? We were talking about you <laughs> earlier on. We were talking about you earlier on. <laughs> he tipped Harry Kane and realised he's not playing in the Premier League anymore. How many How many different betting slips go by the wayside that we never see? And yet, yet all the ones that you collect on they all get posted in the WhatsApp group. Um, Sheffield United <laughs> against West Ham is also this weekend. West Ham dumped out of the FA Cup. Uh, in midweek. I was there down at Ashton Gate, right? And, and and the fans aren't happy, right? At all. They are furious. They're furious with David Moyes. Many of them ring in the sports bar. And it's not all of the fans. It's a small, I'm sure, proportion of them or a selection of them. Um, are they right to be annoyed or do they need a bit of perspective, Scott? Because clearly the squad is light. I would like to ask a West Ham fan that is really unhappy with David Moyes, what team would you have picked on Tuesday night? Yeah. And and I go back to what I said earlier when about Roy Hodgson, the worry of injuries. He picked Pakatar, he picked Jared Bowen in the first game and both of them got injured and now they're out for a period of time. And if you look at the bench that, that West Ham had the other night at Ashton Gate, tell me one player who, who would be playing in, in instead of the team that he picked. The, the bottom line is the sort of second string is not quite good enough. And I think they're allowing players to almost run out their contracts, which Mm. creates a problem from the FFP, obviously. It means you can't just bring loads of players in. You're going to have to get players out first and players on big wages are not going to do that. West Ham's best 11 can compete with anyone. We've seen that. I am disappointed. I don't blame him for the FA Cup. I would blame him for the Carabao Cup. And look, to go to Anfield, obviously a very difficult place. But the, the fact that he rested key players... Again, know your audience. West Ham will take losing to Manchester United and to Arsenal. 
if you can get through that game, at least seem to be going through, uh, you know, and trying to attempt to, to win a cup rather than making changes and then saying, well, we beat United and Arsenal straight after, which don't get me wrong, is, 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 is brilliant. I'm finding it a little bit hard to get on board with that this year. And the reason I am is because if you're you're West Ham, right, and you're in the top six, you've beaten Manchester United and Arsenal over the Christmas period. You've had a terrific Christmas period, really. And then, okay, so you didn't get through in in, in the cup. You tried to. You you played your best team. It didn't work because two of your best players, and, and they were all over Bristol City in the first half of that game. They were... Absolutely, the, first, the way they started that match was unbelievable. They were all they Bristol City couldn't cope in the first 10 15 minutes of that match. They didn't get the second goal. Pakatar gets injured, which is always a massive problem. Bowen gets injured, massive problem for them because they're the two best players. Kudus is already out of the African Cup of Nations. Okay, Alvarez picks up a knock, so he can't play in the second game. You don't want to lose him for any longer than you need to because I'm going to be honest, I think he out of all of the players that they bought in with the Declan Rice money, he's the best. He's outstanding. I love him. And then you've got a situation where four nows, they're, they're thinking, well, hold on, we can't, we can't then get him injured either. So he has to be res- he picked up a knock, but, you know, he's, 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 he wasn't available. The people I'd be annoyed about if I was West Ham for supporter would be Maxwell Cornet and Saeed Benrahma, who one of them gets sent off in stupid circumstances and gives his ch- team no chance of a comeback. And the other one, well, I mean, I don't know what he did. I honestly cannot tell you anything that he did in the game that had an impact on that match, which is really worrying, bearing in mind this was an opportunity for those two players to turn around and say, hi, we're still here. We can do a job when there's injuries and there's fixture congestion. We can do it. They're in the last 16 of the Europa League, right? So they are going for a cup. But I think this, unfortunately, we're getting a bit skewed. David Moyes centric. This is on the players that came in. Yeah. I agree with you. Ben Rama, absolutely reckless, probably has ended his West Ham career now with that. I mean, I'm not sure that David Moyes was particularly having him anyway, and that will just underline that. Um, Cornet's not worked out at all, which surprises me because he looked a good player at Burnley, but he's not been able to find his way at West Ham. And Danny Ings as well, by the way, he's on massive money. I mean, when was the last time he scored a goal? So I think you're right. Those Those fringe players that have come in, not just in this competition, but in the League Cup as well. They haven't delivered. But again, it does show this sort of uneasy relationship between David Moyes, who I think has been a very successful manager for West Ham, and those supporters because they've had so many good moments, that European trophy, constant qualification for European competition. They're riding high in the Premier League again. They've won at Arsenal. They've won at Spurs. But as soon as something goes bad, those West Ham fans, a lot of them anyway, can't wait to turn on the manager. And actually, let's be clear, it's on the board as well because they haven't got they haven't got enough players. They haven't got enough. They need more players of no, greater it, strength. It, it greater does take depth. time. I'm looking at that team, at Ashton, Ashton Gay. I'm looking at that team. That's a team that should be good enough to be a, a bottom half championship club. But we know what the FA Cup is like. We know where the condition could be. You get a guy sent off. Yeah, Bristol absolutely. They're not a post- bottom half team. They're not a bottom half team. They'll, they'll finish in the top 10. Well, okay. They're a, they're a championship side that probably won't finish in the top six fighting for Premier League. Um, so, you know, over two games, they should be winning that. But I look at the team that he's been able to pick. The first game, he went with his big boys and they got injured. The second one, you're asking players to come in and say, there's your opportunity. And they haven't taken that opportunity again. So I don't blame David Moyes and the FA Cup at all. I do think there's a growing number. I mean, I heard on White and Jordan, the West Ham fans saying it's 90% Moyes out. It's not that high. But I'm telling you, wow. it's wow. they are. Crookie's absolutely spot on. There's a high, high percentage that are waiting for that one bad result after two or three good ones, and, and they'll jump on him. This is a golden period in West Ham's recent history. Sixth, seventh, deep into Europe, Europa League semi-final, Europa Conference win. They're in the round of 16. If they get knocked out the round of 16 and they start to fall down the table, again, that noise will get a lot higher. I think it's harsh on David Moyes, but you know I do understand the football's not 100% great, but it's very difficult at a club like West Ham to get results up there and also play great football. They're playing Sheffield United this weekend, seemingly cut adrift already, but maybe a points deduction for Everton and Nottingham Forest might give them hope of staying up. With West Ham, I think they will improve the squad during the January transfer window. I'm being told that there'll be a couple of loan deals done 
uh, for them, which will bolster their squad because I don't think the owner wanted to spend any money uh, until the summer, wanted to get it right in the summer. And then they've got Tim Steitman, who's uh, orchestrating that. And there's a couple other people in the committee, but David Moyes still has a very strong voice on on recruitment. Um, but I, I hear that because of the situation, looking at the, the squad that was available earlier in the week, I think they're going to, to dip into the transfer market to try and bolster that squad between now and the end of the season. They need to. So let's go uh, into Crook's transfer notebook or his little Mary Poppins handbag and pull out some more transfer gems because there's been some movements and there will be in the transfer window. So, Mr. Crook, uh, first of all, Anthony Martial um, hasn't played for a while now because he was ill, right? Um, Is he still ill? Is that why he's training alone? Uh, because he's in isolation or something? I'm not sure how ill he ever was, um, to be I can honest. Hear this, your, I can hear player. your phone in the background, by the way. I can hear it. It keeps going off every two seconds. Could you take it off the desk where your uh, where, where your microphone is, just to sort of, you know, not distract the listeners? I know you're very important, but is there any chance that you that just have a little phone. bit of mic discipline? Oh, it's Scott! I don't think that was my phone. <laughs> it's not me. I'm not, I'm not silent. I'm not, my, my phone's on silent as well. Oof, a phone imposter. Uh, speaking of imposters, Anthony Martial used to be, used to be a footballer. <laughs> Listen, I, it's difficult this because I think there's always been a suspicion around Carrington that Martial is not somebody who, when he picks up an injury or he picks up an illness, who works particularly hard to get back quickly. And now we hear that he's trading on his own, which United tell me is standard procedure when a player comes back from injury. That they they break them back into full training generally. Illness. It wasn't injured. I I not fit enough. Um, but he, but he, yeah, I, I'm not sure how much more we're going to see of Anthony Martial in a Manchester United shirt. I think the club have had enough. I think Eric Ten Hag has had enough. I think Martial's had enough. But before. he's only sitting there because he's on he's on massive wages. Um, he isn't seemingly pushing for an exit this month because he knows he's not going to pick up those wages elsewhere. And it wouldn't surprise me if they just cut their losses now and just say, look, we're not going to pick you for the rest of the season to try and force him out the door between now and the start of February. Listen, I don't know 100%, but I would imagine Manchester United has said, we can get you to another club. He's turned around and said, no, I'm staying on these wages. He'll never get these wages again for the rest of his life. They're now so... At Ten Hag is on trial. He's got, what, five yeah. months left to save his Manchester United managerial career. He now has to be as ruthless as he as to save himself and try and help the culture get back to what it once was. So, look, no one likes to see a player training alone. But if that's what has to happen, it's not as if Anthony Martial has been a Roy Keane of the past. Then, OK, if you're not going to do what it's we need to David do. David Bellion. Well, exactly. If you're not going to go, then, you, you know, I need you out of the camp. Simple as that. Um, is it sort of standard procedure at Carrington that someone has to be training on their own? Because uh, no, <laughs> no sooner as Jaden Sancho departed, uh, Martial has filled that role. Um, maybe it's just like something that has to happen. Um, let's talk about Jordan Henderson. He's off to Ajax. Oh, dear. Um, the Saudi Arabia move did not work. I mean, who would have thought that might be difficult? I don't know. Do you think he did his research? I mean, I hear he hasn't really got an agent and it was Trent Alexander-Arnold's brother that did the original deal. And now he's sort of almost representing himself. I mean, I, I mean I'm, listen, far be it from me to, to give the great Jordan Henderson advice, but get an agent. Seriously, because that was a bad, I mean, a bad decision. I mean, Crook and I were on the air when all this was happening and I was very much, he's not going to do this. There's no way Jordan's going to do this. There's no way this is... What? Are you serious? This is actually happening. This can't be right. Um, and it's spectacularly backfired. From what I hear, Crookie, can I just quickly... Um, he needs an agent to get himself out, doesn't he? Because I don't think he's negotiated himself a, a great get out. <laughs> he's not getting anything. No, it's, it's an incredible situation. And Sam's right. We, we were on together. Uh, Sam was trying to be the diplomat, if I remember rightly. And uh, I wasn't, unsurprisingly. And uh, I was I was when... trusting in Jordan's integrity. And I said that he wouldn't go back on his yeah. word. And I believed him. That's what I said. I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure that Jordan Henderson and Integrity go together. He's made a fool of himself. He's never properly addressed the elephant in the room. You know, all those communities that felt very let down by his move to Saudi. Then he comes out with this nonsense that he's there to grow the game. Well, six months later, he feels he's grown the game enough, does he? I mean, honestly, he's been so badly advised, both by his agent, as you say, he hasn't got an agent, Trent Alexander-Arnold's brother, by the PR firm that represented him. Even the, the release, if you remember, when he joined uh, al Etifak. The social media video was full of spelling mistakes. It's oh, absolutely and ridiculous. And then the car crash interview with David Ornstein, where, you know, fair yeah. play to David Ornstein for getting that interview. It was brilliant. But my God, he did himself no favours in that as well. And now we hear that he's not going to get paid anything from, from going because arguably, I suppose, he has to give a certain amount back <laughs> because he wants to get out of his contract and they won't lose face on that. And then he has to pay tax on the money he earned anyway. So he'll have to get the money pay tax on it when he comes back into Europe and then because he can't and then he has to give it back so literally he may even he may even lose money going to Saudi so he's lost his reputation and he's lost all, loads of money so what oh my god it's the, it's such a bad but i feel I, I sort of feel sorry for him but i sort of pleased in a way that it hasn't worked out because it was the wrong thing to do he he was vociferous about a lot of minority groups where people didn't weren't doing that and and I respect him for that but the bottom line is he made a decision based on what was best for his family so he still believes in those things but the he he wanted to look after his family now do I think he needed to no I don't and do I think he's absolutely said the wrong thing since he should have just turned around and said look yeah. I've come for the money growing yeah. the game and then yeah. six months later uh, you know He's a very good player. And I I don't want to jump on the bandwagon of of having a go at Jordan Henderson. I really don't. But he has played this so wrong. Yeah. Um, Quick word on Calvin Phillips. Um, Listen, I I think he's got to move. He has to move. But I know that there are a couple of clubs that are a little concerned about paying a loan fee for him and then him turning up and him not being ready to start in in a team. Because, you know, it's a big thing. You know, some players can, you know, we've spoken about it. Some players can... Jane Sancho uh, can work on their own and then go straight into the team and make an impact. Some people take a little while to get up to speed. There's not that long in terms of the season to go now. You know, we're halfway, we're around the bend. Some teams don't have loads of cup competitions to play in. So, you know, there's a reluctance to pay a big fee for him. Yeah, I think so. That's what's counted Newcastle seemingly out of the race at this stage, although we'll see if that changes between now and the end of the window at West Ham. Strong interest there. Obviously, Roy Hodgson has publicly sort of uh, made his sales pitch for Calvin Phillips. There's interest from several European clubs as well. But as we've said all along, City's demands at the moment are fairly prohibitive. A loan fee anywhere between five and seven million, all of his wages covered. And then ideally, they want an obligation to buy as well. Now, this is a player you've, you've mentioned about fitness and Matt Sharpness. Pep Guardiola has questioned his fitness in the past. So, you know, I wonder if that might be counting against him, bearing in mind that he's not played much football at all this season. I think he will move, but I still think this could be one late in the window. Arsenal against Crystal Palace is live Saturday, 12.30, with Scott and I holding hands under the desk. Uh, 2.30, game day live with Adrian Durham, Ray Parler, Courtney Sweetman, Kirk and Mickey Gray. Uh, The Sunday session, uh, all the goals they go in from the Premier League, the EFL, WSL, including Sheffield United versus West Ham. Uh, Make sure you give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back on Monday afternoon with a YouTube podcast and one that you can download uh, to put into your ears. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.